Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon. This is John Suntress. We're uh, it's the preamble before the show begins, and I'm always happy to uh, give you some show notes. Uh, if you have questions, comments, or requests from me, email John at wordballoon.com. It's the best way to reach me. Not Facebook messages, not Twitter messages. Email John at wordballoon.com. Follow me on Facebook under my name, John Suntress, and the Word Balloon Network. Follow me on Twitter at John Word Balloon. I have a YouTube channel that is up and running and has videos, and I would like you to uh, be a part of it as well. Would you mind subscribing? It's free. Uh, John, uh, or I should say it's under Word Balloon. So uh, check that out. And as always, thank you for listening to the commercials before the show starts. I know that uh, you know people get annoyed by commercials, but they do pay the bills and they do make a difference in my bottom line. And the only way I get paid is if you do listen to the spots. So in, in advance, thank you for listening. There might be one more spot before we get started, and then we'll uh, be underway with the show. But as always, thank you for your attention. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic conversation show. John Suntress here. Man, I'm bringing back two great conversations with Dave Gibbons. Uh, I really enjoy talking to Dave. Uh, he has become uh, a great acquaintance that uh, I always appreciate when I get to uh, see him and uh, spend a few moments at a convention or on the phone or, or even in on Skype. And I'm bringing you my uh, my two first conversations with Dave. Actually, I take that back. The, the It's the first and third one because uh, I, I did present the Watchmen press junket uh, that happened at uh, WonderCon back in 2009 as the movie was opening. And uh, he was part of that. He was uh, sitting with uh, Zack Snyder, director, and took a lot of questions from us in a roundtable capacity. But uh, this was a first uh, conversation that we had. Dave was at a convention, and uh, he had a new coffee table book called Watching the Watchmen, uh, which uh, really explained a lot of his design work, things like that. Uh, we also talked about uh, the, uh, the the Watchmen motion comic. Remember the Watchmen motion comic? And man, what a, what a great literal translation. Hours long. Each issue took like an hour to get done or over that and everything. So uh, we, we talk about uh, his conversations with Alan Moore, who's been very, who had been very public about his uh, negative feelings about the Watchmen film. And um, we also talked about his uh, 2006 Vertigo graphic novel, The Originals, and the 1985 Superman annual that he and Alan Moore did, The Man Who Has Everything. It was adapted uh, as a Justice League uh, cartoon and a terrific uh, adaptation it was. Uh, it's it's still one of my favorite Superman stories that uh, he and Alan made, and it also seemed to be a dress rehearsal for the type of storytelling pacing that he did for Watchmen. Then we're going to jump about uh, six years later to a great conversation that he and I had about um, 
the before well briefly we got into before Watchmen now Dave was very careful with comments about he made about uh, before Watchmen he really only issued one public statement but I had to take a shot so I did ask him some questions about that we also talked about Kingsman the Secret Service now called Kingsman but uh, back when it was just an image comic that he and Mark Miller created, it was just the Secret Service. And uh, man, think about the uh, the great opportunities that Davis had to uh, to you know co-create two such important uh, comic book properties uh, that have become incredible f- franchises as well. Yes, I'm watching the HBO Watchmen show. Yes, I'm enjoying the HBO Watchmen show. I'll be honest, five episodes in, uh, I'm very conflicted about my feelings about it because I know it's being done against Alan Moore's wishes. Uh, You know, Dave Baker and I talked about uh, what a lousy deal it was in our last conversation and that, uh, you know, in a very corporate, ugly way, DC hung on to the rights and kind of reneged on the promise. Uh, I'm putting in air quotes that uh, they made to Moore and Gibbons. Um, but uh, I'm really happy to talk to Dave about it. Also, his great work at 2000 AD on things like Rogue Trooper and the like, and uh, just a really great conversation about what was going on in Dave's career then. And, uh, man, we're due for a new talk. I've seen him uh, recently at a couple conventions in the last couple of years, and, uh, man, I'm, I'm just always so happy to see him, and he's such a great guy. Always complimentary about what I do here on the podcast, and it means a lot. It really does. So, uh Again, with Watchmen back in the zeitgeist because of the HBO show, I felt uh, let's uh, bring back these conversations with the great Dave Gibbons. So I hope you enjoy these today on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thanks a lot, League, for your support. A couple newbies have uh, popped up and uh, joined the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you. I appreciate your subscriptions to Word Balloon via Patreon. Every month it's, uh, it's a greatly appreciated and it helps me expand the show. That's what I'm trying to do with uh, Word Balloon with your help via Patreon. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. That is the address if you want to subscribe to Word Balloon and help me out if you can. Do you think it's worth the price of a comic? Do you think it's worth a dollar a month even? I hope so. I'm trying to give you some really interesting content that you won't find anywhere else. Don't forget, if you want to subscribe to Word Balloon, go to Patreon.com slash Word Balloon or click on the Patreon ad at WordBalloon.com. But thank you greatly for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Hey, Aftershock is going to have a hell of a November, and I hope you're joining them with some uh, incredible books that are out this month. Things like Baby Teeth, Volume 3 from Donnie Cates and Gary Brown, the collected edition that uh, collects Volume 3, uh, the issues uh, 11 through 15. There's also Baby Teeth issue number 17 from Cates and Brown this month. Number 5 of Knight's Temporal from uh, Cullen Bunn and Fran Gallen. Uh, August is a night lost in time and discovering shockering truths about his very existence in this series. Rough Riders, the complete series from Pat Olaf and Adam Glass. A great new look at uh, the steampunk era with Teddy Roosevelt, Harry Houdini, Annie Oakley, Jack Johnson, among uh, the uh, recognizable history names that you will see in this very interesting steampunk hero group. You Are Obsolete, issue three is out. Matthew Clickstein and uh, Evgeny Banyakov. And uh, I am looking forward to uh, kind of talking to Matt before the uh, end of the month. So that's something to look forward to here at Word Balloon. You've got Marguerite Bennett's Animosity, uh, also a new uh, collected edition of Year Two is available through Aftershock Comics. Lots of great books, lots of great creators under the Aftershock banner. But don't take my word for it. Go to their website. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on how to order these books through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. All right, let's get into this first conversation that I had, the first ever with Dave Gibbons, 
Uh, it's uh, Watching the Watchmen was the name of his uh, book, his coffee table book that he was promoting at the time, and it was a great introduction. So here's Dave Gibbons now, for the first time on Word Balloon. On this edition, it's all talk about Watchmen with the legendary co-creator, artist Dave Gibbons. We caught up with Dave at a London comic convention this past weekend, and we discussed the Watchmen motion comic, which has released its second issue at iTunes and Amazon Video On Demand. Dave also tells us about his upcoming book, Watching the Watchmen, to be released October 21st, and his take on the 2009 Zack Snyder film. We'll also talk to Dave about his recent conversations with Watchmen co-creator Alan Moore, who's been very public concerning his negative feelings about the 2009 film. We'll also talk about his graphic novel, The Originals, the Superman annual he and Alan Moore created for The Man Who Has Everything, and his upcoming John Constantine story in Hellblazer number 250. Our conversation with Dave Gibbons begins with a look at his involvement in the Watchmen motion comic. Well, I'm, I really kind of consult on it and, and kind of keep an eye on what they're doing. They've obviously got great expertise in uh, doing this kind of um, material. They, they tend to show me the, the script, first of all, which is really just a kind of lightly edited um, uh, transcript of, of the dialogue and so on from the comic. Um, so I get a chance to comment on that. Then they show me um, a rough animatic, which is the thing, you know, just cut to time so mm-hmm. that they can see that it's going to work in the time scale. And then we get maybe another two passes of the animation with it progressively becoming more polished. And I offer my thoughts uh, at each point. And then hopefully at the end we, we, uh, we arrive at something that we're all happy with. Your style of panel design and sequential progression, you know, is a hallmark for comics. And so many people look to Watchmen as a great example of storytelling where no panel is wasted, no page is wasted. It's interesting. I was kind of fearful that what you brought to the table as an artist might get lost by adding motion to these images. But I'm pleased to say that I found it very entertaining. And I wonder from your standpoint if that was a fear on your point as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I must say my first reaction when, when um, I, I saw some test footage of this was, well, that's kind of good, but does it really need to be done? And um, I had to think about it a bit, and I actually showed the material to several friends and members of my family, you know, um, who, who I knew would give me an honest opinion of it. And the interesting thing was that the people who were kind of in the business, who were animators or involved with computer games got into the kind of technicalities of it. But the, as it were, civilians that I showed it to absolutely loved it. They thought it was so entertaining and they wanted to see more. And, and I, I think I was convinced by that, you know, um, that rather than be kind of uh, aloof and purist about it, that this was a way of, of treating the material, that if it was done properly, could be very entertaining and could um, attract people to the source material. Um, and, and, and actually become a, a different, what should we say, um, a, a, a different way of getting to know Watchmen. Um, so that was kind of my take on it. And, and since I've seen what they've done, particularly as, as I've had, um, you know, seen the animation get progressively more and more polished, um, I, I, I actually like it very much indeed. And I think that my particular style... Um, that I did Watchmen in was designed to be very accessible and very clear so that it tends to be, you know, fairly straightforward um, line drawing with flat colour on it. And I think that actually translates very well to um, animation. You know, it it translates very, very cleanly, I think. When uh, people read and reread Watchmen, they suddenly realise 
I guess the the nomenclature today is Easter eggs of of so many little bits of business that are going on in the background, characters popping yeah. up. It seems like again they've been able to translate that well in motion in this presentation. Mm. Well, I think so. You know, I, I mean, there are lots of layers of of, of depth in uh, Watchmen, and the thing that I did when I I, I drew it was to try and. Um, you know, keep things in order of precedence so that the story was always very, very clear and you were always looking at the main protagonist. But as it were, out of the corner of your eye, you would see other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's exactly so in the uh, motion comic as well. And, and I might say it's so in the movie too. But, uh, but, 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 but there, are, there are things in the background that you catch as you're watching it and you think, I'm going to have to look at this again to see exactly what that guy was doing or, or you know, um, and, and they paid a, a, a lot of attention to that. I mean, for instance, um, I haven't done a lot of new artwork for it, but one of the things that I did was to draw some more vehicles in, in, in the background so that when you're in the, the street scenes, you've always got, you know, uh, automobiles kind of smoothly going by, which, again, adds to the whole atmosphere of being in the mid- middle of a busy city and... Uh, you know, really gives you the kind of um, atmosphere of the place. Well, that's great. We're getting new Dave Gibbons art then in the motion comic yeah. that wasn't there for the graphic novel. That's wonderful. Well, that's true. As I say, it's, it's the uh, the cars, the, the electric cars. And the, the, the other piece of artwork that, that I drew and, and, you know, tried to draw it in a way that it would blend seamlessly in was the picture of the Minutemen you know, which Rorschach discovers in the back of the comedian's closet and which we then see in Sally Jupiter's apartment and, and uh, Hollis Mason's um, place. Um, you know, that's shown many, many times in the graphic novel, but you never actually see it complete. So I actually drew a complete version of that so that they could, when they zoomed in on it or zoomed out from it or showed a portion of it, it would always be consistent. And that's been integrated into it. And hopefully completely uh, seamlessly. In fact, I even used the very same pens to draw it with as I did way back in the day to draw Watchmen. That's great. Um, you know, I know you, you started in British comics, and uh, one of your early jobs was to become art director for, for 2000 AD, but you had done work before that. Were most of your stories in that uh, 2000 AD format, two-page, four-page, eight-page stories, those types of things? Not really, and, and I, I just have to correct you because I actually never was an art director on 2008 I, I have been asked that before and I think it's one of those things that's on the on the internet which appears to be so but isn't okay and I did work for I did work for 2008 from the very beginning from the very first issue um, and in fact it was Kevin O'Neill who uh, uh, is also one of Alan's collaborators who was actually um, an art director in 2000 AD. I see. But anyway, um, um, I, I, I did draw for 2000 AD from the very beginning, and British comics have tended to be published weekly. Yes. So you would, every week, you would draw four or five pages of the latest installment of, of an ongoing story. Um, so um, a lot of the stuff I did, although there were episodes of that length, you know, uh, kind of came together into a, a much, much longer story. Uh, but it was actually on those shorter kind of twist-ending stories that I first collaborated with um, Alan, and I think was where we first discovered, you know, how much we enjoyed working together and, and maybe laid a lot of the groundwork for our, you know, our later collaboration on Watchmen. Another story that you guys did before Watchmen, if my timeline is correct, was that Superman annual for the man who has everything? Yes, it is. And in fact... Um, 
the two things, uh, Watchmen and that Superman annual, um, were, were very closely linked. Um, what, what happened was, um, I'd, uh, uh, you know, Alan and I had been trying to get something going for DC Comics for a while. I, I was already working for them, drawing Green Lantern, and Alan at that point wasn't working for them. And um, I, I, I quite enjoyed the material I was doing for DC, but I really wanted to do some work with Alan, and we put forward some proposals for things that didn't ever come to anything because they'd already been promised to somebody else. Um, and when I heard that he was doing this proposal for the Charlton characters, I thought, oh, that's something I'd, I'd really like to draw. And it so happened that a couple of days later, I was going to go to a convention in Chicago as DC's guest. So at one of the parties there, I went up to Dick Giordano and said, oh, you know, Dick, this thing that, uh, that, that Alan's working on, I'd really like to draw that. And Dick said, well, how does Alan feel about that? I said, yeah, he'd really like me to do it. He said, okay, fine, that's yours. So that was Watchmen. And I, I was really thrilled at that. And I then bumped into, literally a minute or two later, I bumped into Julie Schwartz. And he said to me, so Dave, when are you going to draw me some Superman? And I said, well, anytime you like, Julie, who's going to be writing it? And he said, Alan, uh, he said, anybody you want. And I said, well, how about Alan Moore? He went, yeah, fine, fix it up. <laughs> so um, I, I did go to bed a very happy man that, 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 that day. And in fact, on the day that Alan and I got together back in England to sort of start the groundwork on Watchmen, we also talked about that Superman story at the very same time. Uh, and, in, and that was the kind of, that was what we were working on while we were doing the long-term planning for Watchmen. I think if fans were to take those issues side by side and look at the way you design panels and pages, they would find a lot of similarities in terms of the tools you ended up using for Watchmen, yeah. And I've seen the cartoon adaptation for Justice League, and I know Alan has been interviewed before about uh, what he thought of it. I've never heard your thoughts on that Justice League adaptation for The Man Who Has Everything, if you've seen it. Oh, well, I, I thought it was a very successful adaptation. I mean, obviously, they... they because it was for Saturday morning TV, they, they had to play down some of the kind of um, sort of fascist undertones of the Krypton stuff. But I thought, again, the, the spirit and the feel of it very much came over, and it was wonderfully animated. And it was, it was a huge thrill, just as it has been with the Watchmen motion comic, you know, to see my drawings actually move and to hear Alan's words spoken, you know. Yes. Um, and I thought they did a really nice job on it. Plus, we did get a check for it as well, so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was good. <laughs> How about the narration for the motion comic? Uh, tell me, you know, that guy's got a challenging role, and I think he rises to the occasion. The only time I think it's it's troubling is when, you know, occasionally it's Sally Jupiter or, or, or her mother speaking that it's going to be a challenge for the narrator. Well, that's true. I mean, I, I, I um, again, that, that was something that I was a little bit unsure about until I heard what he did, and I think he's a tremendously talented actor um and uh, i mean there are so many characters in there that absolutely that try and give the subtle nuances of, of, of difference uh, be between them it's, it's quite a hard thing to do um and there was a decision also made that that the word balloons would be kept on there which i think again is a great help to actually being clear about who's speaking um and i know yeah there has been a lot of comment about the male voice for um laurie and for sally as well um, I think, you know, um, there, you do have to perhaps employ a willing suspension of disbelief for that. But I think probably the alternative, which would be um, be somebody else suddenly speaking on the track, 
probably would have been uh, more jarring. So um, I think that's one of those things that you have to accept as a one of the sort of shorthand uh, necessities of the medium, really. Well, the first chapter came out in uh, late July and uh, I think was a great success, and I think it was very wise to make the initial episode free for a while as well to get people to sample it and appreciate it. Mm. Um, as we're speaking, Chapter 2 has been released, and I hear the plan is then uh, the chapters will come out every two weeks on, on Monday, correct? That's, that's my understanding, yes. And, I mean, I, was, I, I do think it was, it was great to give that first episode away, and, and I was one of the people who, who uh, downloaded it, and uh, I've got it on my iPhone, and it looks... It looks absolutely fantastic on that screen, and I think one of the reasons is that the that the uh, the, the size of the image there is just about the same as the size of the image in a comic book. So it's got the same kind of clarity and the same feeling of scale. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, after months of seeing it, you know, in various versions being not the finished version, to actually see the finished version. In, in, in the way that it was designed to be seen um, really did give me a thrill. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be wonderful to have a new episode of this to look forward to every couple of weeks in the same way that people look forward to a new episode of the, the, the comic book when it came out. We're in the age of, uh, the very early age of digital comics, uh, and the motion comic is a good representation. Are the days of paper, you know, clearly numbered? How do you, how do you feel about all of that? Um, I I don't know. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think any new technology brings uh, exciting possibilities with it. And, of course, with something like Watchmen, we, we're, we're adapting something that was originally drawn for a static medium. Mm -hmm. It would be really interesting to see what could happen if, if you did, or did the original artwork with a view to it later being put into motion, because obviously you would approach it differently. And, of course, with the, the ability to... Uh, do things on different layers when you're doing com computer graphics. It wouldn't be very, very difficult to separate foregrounds from backgrounds and, and so on. And in, in the way that they do with, with other computer-generated um, um, ma ma material to you know, amass sort of assets of characters and backgrounds and situations that you could later recombine. So I think I'd, I'd be really interested to see once people start to think about that as being a prime medium rather than, a, than an, an adaptation. I think you could get some very interesting stuff done then. And I, I rather suspect that it will eventually develop its own grammar uh, and its own approach. And I think inevitably some styles will fit the, the medium better than others. I mean, I think, as I say, the kind of clear style and the flat colouring that I use for Watchmen works very, very well. Um, I've seen some other material as well, which, again... Um, because it's drawn almost in a kind of animated cartoon style to begin with, works very, very well. But, uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, um, I haven't got anything in mind at the moment to, to do in that particular medium, but um, I do think it opens up lots of uh, storytelling possibilities and, again, new ways of delivering story material. Last week on the Entertainment Wires, it was announced that uh, Zack Snyder, the director of the Watchmen film, had... Uh, had an audience, and uh, they ran a few scenes. Uh, and you mentioned that you've, you have obviously been part of the film process as well. How much of the film have you seen? Um, I have seen the entire film. Excellent. Um, and? Yeah, we, um, they did a screening um, shortly after San Diego Comic-Con, uh, which was a friends and family screening, where they asked people who had been involved with it, and also people, I think, who they knew they get straight answers from and after so long to have a look at it and critique it. 
Um, and uh, I, I mean, I was absolutely blown away. And, and of course, it's a very strange experience for me because Zach has been so faithful to so many of the images that we had in the graphic novel uh, that to see them on screen is, 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 is weird because I kind of visualized them many years ago in my head before I drew them. And now they've been taken from the drawings and made real. And they're rather like what I saw in my head then, you know. So it's got this weird kind of circular feeling about it. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I, I, was, I was thrilled by the whole thing. Um, and I could have watched a lot, lot more of it. I think the cut we saw was getting on for three hours long. Um, but I think he really has caught the spirit of it and the detail. And again, I think it's one of those things as we were saying about the motion comic earlier that one viewing is not going to be enough. You know? Wonderful. <laughs> and I, I can imagine when the DVD comes out, people are going to be stepping through it frame by frame, you know? Oh, and I hope uh, I, I can speak for myself and say that I'm, I bet a bunch of fans are hoping that most of that three hours are represented on the DVD because we know how studios like to cut things down. And uh, that's what's mm. been the fear of the story, that it, that it is such a grand story that it would be hard to translate to, uh, to film. I mean, I know people who thought it might make a wonderful HBO series because of the language and the subject matter, that it would have to be on that kind of television for American television. But, yeah, I, 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 it sounds like, and certainly based on what we've seen as far as photographs and the trailer, that Zach has captured mm. the spirit of the, of the story. Well, that's true. I mean, I think to somebody like Zack Snyder to, to call something unfilmable is, is challenging rather than off-putting. Um, and certainly, I think one, one, of the, the, one of the things I really applaud him for is that he has made a good movie out of it. You know, I, I for a long time thought that, you know, maybe a 12-part HBO series or a six-part HBO series would be the way to go. But actually, I think a completely faithful step-by-step, word-by-word, picture-by-picture adaptation probably wouldn't have worked well in that medium. Um, and um, I think that, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a long movie at getting on for three hours, but I think it's a really satisfying movie experience and very, very rich. And I think at the end of the day, I applaud that kind of density um, than if it had perhaps been given more room and it unfolded in a, in a leisurely kind of way. Um, I mean, you know, that will always be one of the great unknowns, what it would have been like as a, as a, as a 12-hour series. But I certainly think, as a movie, uh, it holds up very, very well indeed. And it's a kind of experience that I... It's a different kind of movie. I think that people will find it very fresh and very novel and very, very exciting, which, after all, you know, is uh, what you want a movie to be. Well, that's what we loved so much about the original comic as well. And and from a density standpoint, I, I'm glad to see that each chapter of the motion comic is as long as it is, because that was a very satisfying 30 minutes to spend on that very important first issue. Are each Is each chapter about that same length of uh, a half hour? Yeah, I, I think they work out to be more or less the same. I mean, some chapters are more wordy than others. You know, I, sure. I was just looking at the at the, the almost finished animation for episode four, which is the Dr. Manhattan on Mars one. Um, and that's quite wordy, but that, again, they fitted it beautifully into kind of 20, 25 minutes. It, it's weird. It almost seems to translate to a minute per page, you know, which I guess is kind of the speed you would read it at. So it, it has the feeling of the same kind of pace as the comic book. Uh, but again, it's, it, it is a shorthand version, whereas, 
you know, I think if you'd done it in live action, it probably, you, you couldn't have done an issue in 25 minutes. You know, it's, it's, it's strange how different media seem to require different lengths. You know, uh, obviously part of the story of Watchmen as it is translated to these other mediums is the dissatisfaction that Alan Moore has had with previous works that have already come out on film. And certainly he's mm. made his opinions known about Watchmen. Have you had any personal contact with Alan about what they're doing, and, and both for the film and, and the motion comic at all? Sure. Well, I mean, uh, I, I mean, this is a question that has come up certainly <laughs> a few times already, and I'm sure will come up up again. But but the, I mean, the answer is really quite simple. You know, Alan has had a, a bad experience with Hollywood in the past, both with what they've done to his material creatively, and also in the way that he's personally been treated. And he just made his mind up actually before V for Vendetta, um, the previous movie based based on his and David Lloyd's work that he didn't want his name on it and he didn't want any income from it. And he was quite clear that this was what he wanted from Watchmen. And um, he signed a piece of paper to to have his credit removed and have his money passed over to me, uh, which is not quite as straightforward a thing as you might expect. And it's a little bit of a mixed blessing, I feel. But anyway, that was his wish. Um, since then, I did speak to him a little bit about um, the book that I've written, which is called Watching the Watchman, which is about the, the, the very origins of how we first worked on the comic book. And he was quite helpful on that. But the, the, the last conversation I had with him, um, he said that he was pleased that I was enthusiastic, but that he didn't share that enthusiasm. And that although he was always happy to talk to me, he really didn't want to discuss Watchmen anymore. So that's fine. If that's what Alan wants, I'm perfectly happy to respect his and I hope we will continue to have many enjoyable conversations, but they won't be concerning um, Watchmen. Um, and, um, I mean, he has had no uh, input into the movie at all, um, and um, that's the way he wants it to be. I mean, I personally, because I am having, so far, as, as Alan warned me, so far, um, a good experience with, with this, that I'm kind of sorry that he can't for once share that enjoyment but i perfectly understand his position and certainly um you know i'm very happy to respect his wishes no i understand and i appreciate you tolerating me asking this question that i'm sure you'll uh, get from now through opening night of the film when it comes out as well uh well, well that's fine no no i mean it's <laughs> it's it's a thing which is a story and 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 uh, as i say but it's it's quite clear and and i mean um at the moment i'm i'm, I'm happy to say that i'm able to be as involved with the movie as I am and still retain Alan's friendship. Well, and it's and it also it's nice to see much that, uh, like David Lloyd experienced with V for Vendetta, that you are getting the acknowledgement for your equal contribution to this story, which, and, and I have to tell you too, as, as an American, I've enjoyed your work on Green Lantern, but even uh, discovering some of uh, your, your 2000 AD work, like Rogue Trooper, and uh, really, really have enjoyed your art throughout the years, so it's great to see that uh, a lot of uh, people are going to be exposed to your work through these adaptations, and hopefully we'll follow and try and discover more of your artwork as well. Well, well thanks. I mean, I do appreciate that. And, and, I mean, there is a strange irony about it, that in journalistic shorthand, you know, uh, there has often been many re often references to Alan Moore's Watchmen, Alan Moore's V for Vendetta. Um, 
Alan is always scrupulous in pointing out that, you know, we did this or me and Dave did that, you know. Sure. Um, but it's, but it's, it's always been kind of that Alan has been credited with it. It's never really worried me. I mean, members of my family would say, why didn't they mention you? Your name should be on it as well. But, of course, the real irony with the Watchmen movie is that it will be my name on it alone, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, by, but by the same token, I, I mean, I, I um, uh, although Alan doesn't want his name on it and doesn't want that official credit i i mean i certainly want to make sure that nobody's under the apprehension that it was me and me alone that was responsible for it so um yeah so um it is still by dave by alan moore and 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 dave gibbons uh, even if it doesn't say so on the packet <laughs> i hope that uh with the the success of the watchman motion comic uh, I understand that there are some more projects down the line. One I would particularly like to see, because I enjoyed uh, the book uh, just a couple of years ago, the originals. And I think that would make a wonderful motion comic. And I'm hoping with a uh, a punk ska kind of soundtrack uh, to it. I, I think uh, you'd, you'd have an interesting uh, adaptation there. Mm. If you know it, that could even be further, you know, colored with uh, you know some some great appropriate music as well. Well, that, that's very interesting. I, I, I must say that in all modesty, that hadn't really occurred to me before. But, but I can see how that could work. And yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to pick the soundtrack for that because uh, I, I think it could be... Uh, I mean, as, as you know, I did integrate kind of record labels and stuff in, into it because that was so much of the experience that I had when I was growing up. And of course, it'd be really interesting to have some music that was kind of new but in the style of you know absolutely um so yeah i I could see that would that would work quite well and black and white i mean i deliberately did the book in black and white just to stand out from all the colored stuff on the stands so uh, yeah i could see that 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 might be quite quite novel i'll have to phone up my friends at dc and see if we can arrange that (laughs) and another black and white uh, story of yours is being adapted i understand to the motion comics and that is uh, your Batman black and white story. The the black and white bandit will be among the stories that they'll be presenting, I hear. Is that correct? Oh, I, I understand. Yeah, I mean, and that in some ways was a kind of um, kind of a dry run for the originals. You know, I, I used a lot of the same techniques and, uh, you know, the, again, the idea of it being in just several uh, tones of grey. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to see how that looks. And if that looks really good, well, then all the more reason to do the originals, I guess. That's great. And and also in that particular uh, Batman story, uh the motif is not just in the uh the the lack of color in that the story is in black and white, but so many references in the story itself. And I don't want to spoil for people, yeah. but yeah, who haven't maybe read the read it or seen it yet. But uh yeah, that's a, that was a really clever way. And again, I I really admire the way you are able to tell a story in in short form. As you say those those British stories were episodes of a longer story. But you really had to still have a satisfying read within two to eight pages, and it, and it is something that I that I admire about a lot of you guys because I think that's a challenging skill that today's comic book writer and artist don't face as much in America. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, perhaps that comes out of the uh, the kind of British experience of having to produce four pages of solid story a week or a short kind of four page twist ending story but certainly i mean one of the pleasures i get when i write a story is telling it as concisely as possible you know that to to boil it down to the least number of words and the most potent images you know um so um yeah i mean i mean that's the kind of story that i always like to read and i guess that's the kind of story that that i always try and do and 
it's very interesting. One of my abiding memories of uh, of Watchmen with um, Alan was um, there was a particular scene that he wrote where I felt there were too many words in it, and he agreed, and he'd been doubtful about it, and um, he actually rewrote it and managed to say exactly the same thing in in half as many words. So um, I think it's I think it's true that the the real skill of writing is in rewriting, and something. Uh, that does give me pleasure is to tell a story, you know, as concisely and economically as possible. What's coming up for you in, in comic books, I hear? Are you working on uh, Hellblazer 250? I did write a story for that, I, and it's the second Hellblazer story I wrote. I, and strangely enough, the first Hellblazer story I wrote was in black and white. It was actually a text story that was illustrated in black and white that came out in, a, in a, an anthology called Winter's Edge a few years ago. So that, that was about Christmas, and, and they said that they wanted one for Hellblazer 250 that was set at New Year's Eve. So I thought, okay, well, if I do that, I've kind of covered the whole holiday season there. <laughs> um, and um, I really enjoyed writing that, and I, I'm very pleased to announce that it's being drawn by a friend of mine called Sean Phillips. Oh, wonderful. Who I know will, will make a really nice job of it. He's already been to London taking lots of reference photos, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what he what he does with that. Wow, that's a great combination. I'm a, I'm a fan of Sean's from his work with Ed Brubaker on uh, Sleeper and oh, Criminal yeah. as well. He, he, he is one of those artists, Sean, who makes it look so simple, but he's such a wonderful draftsman. I'm, I'm really pleased to be working with him. What's your next art project coming up, as far as drawing a comic well, or anything? Well, you know, I, I mean, the kind of Watchmen seems to have taken my life over again because <laughs> I'm doing, you know, quite, which, which I'm kind of pleased about. It's, I mean, I'm doing the consultancy work on the motion comic and... Um, there's a, a computer game, which I, I, I'm also doing some work on, and um, I'm doing some licensing artwork for DC to make sure that we keep all the characters, you know, on model. Um, and with the various, you know, um, in fact, I'm off to New York tomorrow, no, Monday, um, to see some of this footage that you referred to um, earlier, you know, the kind of half-hour um, um, version of it, which uh, is being shown to the press. So one way and another, I think from now until probably the movie premieres, it's going to be Watchmen, which takes most of my time. Um, something else that I, I have been working on is, is finally putting together all the Martha Washington material that uh, Frank Miller and I have done o over the years. Absolutely. And that's all going to be collected together into one really big book. It, it's, it's actually a much bigger book than Watchmen. It's going to be 500 and something pages. Wow. Um, so I'm, I'm working on putting that together. Um, and, of course, I've got this Watching the Watchmen book coming out, which I believe um, there are going to be printed copies in the world in the next couple of weeks, um, which I'm also doing promotion on. So it's mainly Watchmen stuff. The, the stuff that I've got coming out after that, uh, really, not to be a tease, but I really can't say anything about it at the moment, although I'm looking forward to doing a bit of writing for other people to illustrate and a bit of illustrating other people's scripts. So... Um, yeah, um, but at the moment, it's Watchmen, Watchmen, Watchmen. <laughs> well, that's great, and I'm I'm glad to hear that you have more writing coming up as well. I enjoyed your work on Green Lantern Corps and uh, your Cap uh, miniseries that you had a couple of years ago. Oh, thank you. Cap Lives was wonderful. I hope that when well, you thanks. start your, uh, your, your tour for the book that we have the opportunity to have a longer conversation because uh, certainly I could go on for hours about uh, all your projects that you've been through through the years that I've enjoyed yeah. and I know people would love to hear more about. Yeah, well, you seem to know almost as much about me as I do. So uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a great pleasure to talk to you anyway. And, uh, you know, you've asked me some questions that have really made me think. 
Well, that's good. And, you know, it, seriously, thanks for taking the time, too, during uh, this convention that you're at right now. It's, uh, I should ask you quickly, I, I, I must imagine that you've got nothing but positive feedback about not only the motion comic but everything that's going on with all your projects relating to Watchmen. Oh, oh yeah, I mean, the, the, the overwhelming feeling is that, that, that people just can't wait to see it. And, and from somebody who's been involved on the inside, I think it's true to say that the feeling on the other side, you know, on our side of it is we can't wait for people to see it because I think everybody's very confident that, that it is very good material and, and that it's going to really... Um, it's really going to excite people. So, um, strangely enough, I'll, 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 make, uh, I'll make an admission to you, which is this, that although I'd seen the Watchmen trailer on the internet and I watched it in high definition on the TV, I'd never actually seen it in the theatre because when I went to see Dark Knight, they weren't showing the trailer with it. Oh. Uh, and where the convention that I'm at this weekend is being held, there is an IMAX theatre, which is part of the convention building, and I actually got the manageress of the cinema to let me go in just to see the Watchmen trailer on, on, on the big field, on the big screen. Sure. Uh, and I must admit, I, I was so excited that I wanted to immediately see it again. So, you know, um, <laughs> you, you, you can see that I am pretty thrilled about the whole thing. That's fantastic. Dave, I don't want to take more of your time. I want you to get to the pubs and uh, enjoy the evening because yeah. I, I, I know how a day at a convention can be sometimes. So thank you very much for your time. It's, it's been a pleasure. Okay, you're very, very welcome. And, uh, you know, I look forward to talking to you again soon. That would be wonderful. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks a lot. All right. So that was my first conversation with Dave. All right, after that, at a San Diego, this was so great. After This is what I love about going specifically to San Diego, because everybody's there. Everybody's having a great time. It was at a bar after hours. I happened to run into Rich Johnson and uh, James Robinson, the writer, and Jan Jones, who at the time was part of DC's marketing. Now she's at Legendary Comics. And it was great talking to them. And all of a sudden, behind them, and I didn't even notice, I hear, Suntress, you don't say hello to me. And it's Dave Gibbons. And I'm like, Dave. Holy cow. I'm like, God, I'm so glad I ran into you. And it's sad because I haven't fulfilled this yet, but I am working on it. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to put together a word balloon book, and I, I would love to have your interviews as a part of it if it's okay. And he just, I mean, he said, oh, John, whatever you need. And that was so great. I'm like, oh, my God. And he said, although <laughs> he was worried, he's like, you know, I'm going to say something on there that I forgot about, and I'm going to read it in print and say that fucking suntress he wrote. He, he put this stuff in print. And I'm like, all I could think was, wow, Dave knows who I am. And he even says my name right. Bendis doesn't even say my name right. So it killed me. I had to call my uh, my college roommate back in Chicago. It was like 1 or 2 in the morning. And I'm like, do you remember Watchmen? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, Dave Gibbons, the co-creator, he knows me. And he's nice to me. I was so excited. If Dave's listening to this right now, I'm sure he's like, yeah, it's great, John. <laughs> take it easy. Take as I say, aim higher. Take it down a notch, man. But it really did. It meant a lot to me. And then subsequently, I saw him at the uh, press junket uh, for Watchmen at um, God. It was uh, uh, the San uh, the San Diego or San Francisco uh, convention WonderCon when it was still in San Francisco. The press junket there. We had a great conversation. And then a couple of years later, it was Memorial Day in uh, America. M- means nothing in uh, or was it? Yeah, it was. It was Memorial Day. It was late May. And uh, called Dave. It was he, you know, London time. Just another day in London, as far as he was con- concerned. Just an afternoon, and we had another great conversation. And that's when uh, Kingsman was coming out from Image. And uh, after that, it had been a couple of years since the Watchmen movie. So you know, a little perspective on what the ride was like uh, enjoying the Watchmen movie. And then, of course, timing wise, 
it was when DC decided to do the uh, Before Watchmen books. And, uh, you know, again, I I knew David made a public statement of good luck, essentially. I I don't remember exactly what he said, but uh, I I want to uh, represent this conversation, which got into a lot of other things. And uh, I got to tell you, man, I I really want to have Dave back. I don't want him to think the only thing I ever want to talk about, though, is Watchmen, because I really do love his career top to bottom. And, uh, again, we talk about some of his uh, 2000 AD days and Martha Goes to Washington, his great uh, co-creation with Frank Miller from the early 90s. And also about creator-owned books and what's going on, at least back then, and what was happening. Um, how come there weren't more uh, good creative creator-owned initiatives and stuff? Because, like I said, it, it really felt like in the 80s, Dave and Alan were kind of on the front lines of uh, doing this new, interesting, groundbreaking stuff. So uh, let's continue now with another conversation with Dave Gibbons on Word Balloon. Welcome back to Word Balloon. Well, it's a pleasure to be back, John. I really enjoyed the podcast, and I remember we spoke a long, long time ago when the Watchmen movie was was all a buzz. So it's good to talk to you again. I am really enjoying the new series with Mark, The Secret Service. Well, thank you. And uh, you know, uh, if I may, because it, I, th- you know, we talked right around the time before the movie came out. Mm-hmm. And and your book had been out as well about your process on Watchmen and that. Just looking back on those last three years, it really seemed like a wonderful victory lap for you. Uh, and I and I wonder <laughs> from from your perspective from the movie moving forward and stuff, what the last three years have been like. Well, I don't know that it was a victory lap. I'm not quite sure what the victory would be. I, I perhaps still being here after 25 years might be a victory in itself. But no, I mean, I really, really enjoyed the whole Watchmen movie experience. Shortly before it started, I actually had dinner with um, with Mike Mignola. And I said to Mike, you know, you've been through the Hollywood mill with Hellboy. What can I expect? What, sh- what should I do? What should I be careful of? He said, well, Dave, first of all, there probably won't be as much money in it as you might think. And he was absolutely right, even more so in the case of uh, Watchmen, which, as you know, is owned by uh, DC Comics. Um, he said, but you will have some great travel. You go to some great places, stay in nice hotels, meet some really interesting people. So just enjoy it. And that's what I did. That was my watchword. Um, they were really good at, at, at Warner Brothers. They included my family in it as well. My wife got to visit the set with me. Uh, I managed to get 27 members of my family into the London premiere. Um, I, fl- I, I flew my stepdaughters and my son and his, his girlfriend over to um la for the hollywood premiere we had a a fantastic time and of course the movie came out was out for a week or two and then magically hollywood stopped calling but (laughs) (laughs) but i had been warned of this and it was just what i expected but really the kind of year year and a half when it was all rolling along was um a really good time and i was able to get involved in things like the motion comics which i believe we spoke about before yes uh, which was an interesting experiment. You know, I have my reservations about it. I think there's something there um, with the combination of um, um, comic strips and motion or interactivity that needs exploring. And I am actually on other fronts exploring, which we may talk about later. Um, so that was a great experience. Um, but it was, yeah, I mean, it, it was really, really interesting, really good fun for all the family. And then it stopped, uh, and so then I've had to get back into uh, get back to my fighting weight, 
and uh, start, start producing monthly comics again. And let me tell you, although I can still do it, um, I was a little bit rusty, and uh, initially things were taking me a little bit longer than they used to. I guess this is the story of, of age anyway. Um, but as succeeding issues go by, I'm getting faster and faster and remembering exactly what it felt like to be in full production. Fortunately, not quite as punishing as when Alan and I were doing Watchmen all those years ago. But it's it's much though I enjoyed swanning around the world being Dave Watchman Gibbons. It, it really is nice to be back at the drawing board and to have some good scripts to work on and to have the buzz of excitement of uh, new material getting out there. Well, Secret Service is a great uh, welcome back for us readers. And uh, what I love about it is... Uh, the uh, the genre of I, I'm a huge uh, super spy fan uh, mm-hmm. genre fan and I and I know you too probably you know grew up in that Bond Uncle uh, secret you know uh, yeah. Danger Man kind of era and stuff so yeah. it's fun to see it with the modern twist uh, what I really appreciated right from the first issue though uh, the Mark Hamill sequence. Uh, that, <laughs> that that must have rung familiar in terms of people uh, asking Mark Hamill about prequels and what he thinks of them and stuff. Oh, sure. Well, well, well you know, Mark uh, Miller, not Mark Hamill, or Mark Miller sent me the script cold, and I actually couldn't believe it when I read the first page. I said, I thought, is this really Mark Hamill, or does he mean somebody who kind of looks like Mark Hamill, or is this, is this a joke? Um, but then it, I saw it was an absolutely wonderful joke, and, of course, the fact that I'm privy to the greater plot, which I'm not going to divulge here, means that it, it absolutely makes sense. Uh, and, of course, the good news is that, that Mark is not only Luke Skywalker, and I am now a close personal friend of Luke Skywalker, but he is a huge comics buff, as I'm sure lots of people out, out there know. And he was such a good sport and absolutely thrilled to be um, in, in the book. So it's just a wonderful way to kick, kick it off. And I think also, you know, it kind of typifies what the book is is about. I mean, we address some pretty serious issues in there, and God knows there's some pretty graphic violence, but there is a bit of humour as well. There, there is a bit of kind of, um, we're kind of winking at the reader a bit to say, yeah, we're fanboys too. We really love this stuff. Um, and, and so the whole tone of the series is one that I'm really, really enjoying. And um, as you mentioned earlier, you know, I, I was very influenced by, you know, James Bond and particularly and the Len Dayton books, you know, the Ipcrest file and stuff like Absolutely. that, which were a little more seedy and a little more down to earth, which is what we've tried to do with, with Secret Service. But I think it's, it's become a somewhat neglected genre um, and one that's got a lot of possibility for great characters and exciting visuals and, and everything. And Really, it's good not to be doing a superhero book. I mean, you know, obviously I've spent quite a lot of time with superheroes, but it's really good to be in a different area um, and have a few challenges that you don't really get in superhero books. What would you say in terms of some of those those challenges, if you can, you know, without obviously spoiling story, but, uh, yeah, how, how, how is it different? You're doing action. Uh, I also appreciate, I mean, there is this level of parody humor that I, I think always came through in, in 2000 AD books, and mm-hmm. it seems like when, when, when uh, as an American, when you Brits get together and stuff like that, there's always, you know, tongue-in-cheek uh, stuff going on, which is terrific to see in the midst of the action and, and really some of the, the grittiness of the book as well. Yeah, well, I think that was one crucial decision we made um, way back when we were first talking about it. It was originally going to be set uh, in the States, and I'm sure we could have done it, and we could have had a similar kid from an analogous background and the same kind of thing. 
But actually, when we really thought about it, we thought that setting it in England, in in the kind of society, in the kind of uh, you know, see the end of, of things that, that we, we, we knew quite well and that after it was only outside our door, that it gave it an extra level of conviction and an extra level of kind of relevance, although the idea isn't to do it as a sort of a, a really serious social document. I think it gives it a texture um, and a feeling of connectedness that um, probably if we had said it in the States, it, you know, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have. The, the only problem is that sometimes... You know, if it's set in the UK, it can seem a bit parochial or a bit minor. But I think it hasn't been received like that at all. And I think just as for many years we've been uh, immersed in uh, American culture here, I think that comics fans and, and, you know, fans of the kind of thing we do um, are very um, aware of what Britain is like. Maybe they've visited it they've seen enough movies to to actually get what we're talking about so you know that that was a really crucial decision and it is one of the challenges in it that i really enjoy you know to make these parts of london look just like these parts of london really look um and to you know give it a convincing kind of texture um i must say that one thing that comes in really useful for that or for drawing anywhere in the world is uh, is uh, Google Earth uh, and, particularly, and particularly Google Street View. You know, you can, yeah. have, you can have a car chase down any street in the world these days and make it look absolutely realistic. So um, the technology stepped in to help me at the right time there. <laughs> Gary, uh, Gary's uh, friends mm. also remind me of certain sequences of previous work of yours in terms of the originals. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, that was during that mod uh, era, but uh, also Watchmen, too, with the knot tops. And, I, and you know, I, I really appreciated. I thought uh, it was kind of an interesting callback, and it's, you know, neat to see that kind of action and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, that's an area that I've always been really interested in. You know, as I've said before in interviews um, about the originals, I was a mod. I, I had the scooter. I had the clothes. Uh, I still love the music, you know. So um, that was my first, uh, you know, really substantial piece of work that I both wrote and drew, and and I chose that as the subject because it had to be something that I really had a passion for. And yes, there there is an element of that in Secret Service as well, um, you know, that we see that kind of fairly closed youth culture. Um, obviously, Gary's going to break out from that, although it takes him a bit of effort to do it. It's very hard to turn your back on your friends and go to um, a different life, which, again, is something that we really enjoy. And, and I think also, you know, um, you know, Mark has got nephews, and I've so, certainly got nephews and, and friends where you see kids and you think, you know, at this point you could go one of two ways. You could really make good or you could be lost forever. Um, and I think that's the thing with the, that particular time of life, late teens, if you fall in with the, with the wrong gang. You know, um, you could be walking on very thin ice indeed, or it could be the making of you. So certainly, yeah, um, to a degree, it does revisit themes in uh, that were in the originals. It's interesting you speaking about the knot tops, because um, apparently, you know, that kind of street gang was actually something of an anomaly to the American readers. There wasn't actually, as we understood it, um, an American equivalent of of mods and rockers and punks, although there were later, but they were more to do with music rather than a sort of streets up um, culture. So, yeah, um, that was one element in Watchmen that, that we were always told, you know, st- struck a strange note, but it didn't really matter because with Watchmen we were pretty much doing a skewed view of reality anyway. 
I suppose the skinheads of America were a couple of years after Watchmen because, you know, and again, at the time, it didn't, uh, you know, I was reading it certainly in issue form when it was coming out and stuff, so it didn't occur to me as anything different than, you know, a bunch of teenage kind of hooligans and stuff. Mm. But yeah, now, you know, looking back now, it kind of does. I think the Not Tops have that kind of similarity to the skinheads, although the skinheads, I think, were a little bit more politically yeah. and racially motivated, maybe, well, then. Well, that's the thing about it, because, you know, in, in England, the skinheads came pretty soon after after the mods, and there certainly was not a racial element at all. In fact, over here, the skinheads' favorite music was Jamaican ska and reggae. You know? Okay. Um, but it was only later, I think, when... Uh, the kind of football violence took hold over here when a lot of those people were skinheads and the kind of right-wing factions wanted to harness that kind of tribal energy that skinheads became political over here. But my understanding is that perhaps in the States they were kind of political and right-wing from the very start, you know. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, uh, the, the, it's, it's a very, very interesting area to me, um, youth culture, and it's still something that continues to, to fascinate me. Well, and I always appreciate uh, when we do get books and, and television and film from Britain. It's always interesting to compare the lifestyles of, of the two countries. Mm -hmm. And really, I had read in a review of Secret Service, uh, someone almost came up with a good short pitch of Billy Elliot meets uh, James Bond. And I, I think that kind of <laughs> kind of comes through. I kind of like that. Sure. You know? I, I can't see Gary um, kind of doing a pirouette or, or, or anything <laughs> balletic like that. But, yeah, there, 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 there is, you know, there, there is that feeling. It's, it's strange. It's a... It's kind of a theory that I've got, and I, you know, I could wander off into very, diff very dangerous quasi-political areas here. But you know, a thing that used to be very common in Britain, and I don't know again if it was quite so in such a formalised way in the states, was was people who came from kind of non-academic backgrounds or whose destination in life was not to be ac academic or be a white-collar office worker, you know, who were going to work in industry uh, of, of some sort. You know, there was a whole apprenticeship system where at, at those teenage years, you'd be taken under the wing of an older man or an older group of men and you would be shown the ropes. You would be shown how to be a man and learn that actually being a man doesn't consist of just being very virile and violent and rough. You know, that there were other aspects to it. And it had a kind of tempering effect, I think, on that aggression that is there in a lot of young men. And that really, with the, with the state of the economy and with the complete restructuring of, of, of industry and things, I don't think that happens so much today. So it's quite interesting that with, um, with Jack London, our, our spy character, and his nephew, Gary, that we've almost got that kind of apprenticeship thing, you know, that Gary is a diamond in the rough and this older man who's, who, is, who is everything a man should be um, is showing Gary how to become a man, how not to become a hooligan or how not to have a wasted life. So I, I think, yeah, again, that's a chord that, as you can tell from my passion in talking about it, has, has a lot of resonance for me. Was this uh, the only pitch specifically that Mark made to you or were there other story ideas? Because obviously right now... <sighs> Mark's bursting with ideas and has so many projects going, which is fantastic. And he really is getting great people like yourself and Lineal U and, and, and the rest. So, yeah, how was it just this one or were there others mentioned possibly? Well, there were others mentioned possibly, you know, in, in and among the other titles that he's doing and the other ideas he had at the time. But this was the one that he mainly pitched me. Okay. And, and it was the one that from the beginning I thought, yeah, I could really do something with this, you know, um, uh, 
um, another bunch of kind of cosmic superheroes. Well, I've dabbled around a bit with the Green Lantern Corps. And, you know, um, I mean, all of Mark's ideas are, are, are great to me. I mean, I think he comes up with, with fantastic stuff and stuff that's completely revitalized that end of the um, industry. So, but I just kind of thought, well, let's see what he comes up with for me and run with it. I, I was a little surprised, given that a lot of his output has got a superheroic slant, that it wasn't a superhero thing. But I couldn't be happier to be doing something that's got these slightly you know offbeat um elements in it is uh is there is there a time do you think still in your career that a job might come from a dc or a marvel and i'll even throw 2000 ad because i think they all kind of represent that same kind of corporate owned situation mm-hmm. where you would where you're still willing to work on corporate characters or do you, do you think now you know you would like to do more of the independent stuff. I mean, I hear you when you say you've done your bit, a bit of superheroes and it's nice for a change of pace, but is that a permanent change of pace or do you, do you think maybe one day? Yeah, sure. Why not? Well, yeah. I mean, I always think sure. Maybe one day. Why not? I mean, I think it's, it's a foolish man who says he will never do something because <laughs> situations change, tastes change. I mean, at the moment, um, you know, let's come at it from the other end. Growing up, I was a huge comics fan, and my ambitions as a comics fan were to work for DC or Marvel, actually much more DC than Marvel, because I like their books so much more. And I grew up, and I was in the right place at the right time. I worked hard. I made made the right contacts, um, and I ended up, you know, kind of drawing all the super, all the DC superhero characters that I'd loved. Green Lantern, which I had a complete collection of. Superman, who's the granddaddy of them all. Batman, who's the badass of them all, you know. And <laughs> and, and I've done those. I haven't done much for Marvel, uh, but I've drawn Captain America and I drew Doctor Strange, who were my two favourite Marvel characters. I, I worked on The Spirit. I worked on something with, yes. Stan, with Stan Lee. And I kind of ticked all those boxes on my wish on my fanboy wish list and you get to a point where you think maybe it's time to introduce something new into the genetic pool rather than just recycle what's gone before you know it's more important to try and change things up and i think the place where you're going to do that nowadays is in the creator own stuff and in the independent stuff because you know, the large companies have huge overheads, are, are owned by huge corporations that want to see appreciable profits. And so they tend to stick with what they know is going to sell. Admittedly, they do change things around a bit. There are some very creative people working for them. And I wouldn't be so arrogant as to damn anybody for working on company-owned stuff. But I think at my time, having done that and having, you know, got myself um, a bit of a reputation, now is now is my chance to get my new stuff out there um, and to sort of introduce stuff to the mix that, that only um, I can do. And, and also, you know, it's really nice to know that you own your characters. Um, and, you know, Mark and I can do what, whatever we like with the Secret Service. If we have a marketing idea, we just have a phone call and we do it. If, if we want to sell the rights to somebody in Brazil or wherever it might be, we do. Um, if we want control over the way the book looks or, or, or how it's published, um, it's ours. And, you know, that's something which I think as a creator is really important. And, um, you know, um, I, I certainly feel much, much happier um, owning something um, than kind of doing work for hire on something that somebody else owns. 
You know, given what you guys were all able to accomplish, and when I say all, I don't just mean Alan Moore. I mean Frank Miller and Art Spiegelman. I know you you even obviously eloquently put in a recent interview. It was that 1986 year Mm -hmm. where Mouse, Watchmen, Dark Knight all happened and was such a big first step. I, I... I kind of compare it to astronauts in that you guys really were kind of the Mercury astronauts and made those first steps. And certainly with with Watchmen, you know, uh, you and Alan are uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin there taking those steps on the moon. And you guys went so far. And much like the astronaut program, it's it's an amazing accomplishment. Creator, you know, was such a great first step for creator own, and in a lot of ways, steps forward were made since then in the generations that followed. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, it doesn't seem like you're too far from those first steps right now. And given your perspective as someone who's kind of lived through these years, I wonder how you feel about that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, that, that's an interesting um, analogy to to think <laughs> of us as space cowboys. I mean, I've often likened it to kind of D Day or something like like, okay. like there's the Watchman landing craft and the and the Dark Knight landing craft and the Mouse landing craft and we 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 managed to get on the beach and the and the the drawbridge clanks down and we rush out and we're there and we're fighting <laughs> and where are the reinforcements? Where are you guys? <laughs> you know. And 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 it kind of was like a false dawn, I think. I mean, undoubtedly, um, th- th- there was something about the atmosphere at the time. And I think the fact that Watchmen and Dark Knight just coincidentally happened to come out together, I think was tremendously good for both of them because it gave the sense of a movement, although it was only a mass movement of two things. Um, and, of course, Mouse was slightly off off to the side. It didn't have, right. It wasn't aiming at quite the same audience. But, again, it showed the possibilities of what could be done. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it was a thing that Alan and I always regretted that the, it, the kind of lesson that was taken from Watchmen was make everything grim and gritty. That wasn't the message at all. It was, you know, we've had superhero comics for decades. How about this for another way to look at them? You know, this is the, if you like, the grim and gritty, deeply psychological way to look at them. But, you know, you can look at them differently. You know, there's this, I, I mean, I, I think people like, um, I've got a tremendous respect for Grant Morrison's work, for instance, and he's honed in on that basic kind of hallucinatory, almost psychedelic, you know, madness of, Absolutely. of, of, of superheroes, which I think is a great take on them. And he's got all sorts of kind of in, interesting and perhaps slightly tongue-in-cheek theories about how we might actually conjure real heroes up if we really, really believe. It's a bit like this kind of Tinkerbell effect, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's but 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 it's a really interesting thought anyway. Um, and uh, you know, I, I mean, there have been interesting things since, like uh, Kurt Busiek's Astro City and sure. and, and and stuff and stuff like that. So um, again, I, ha- I have to be careful, you know, because we happen to be there at the right time with Watchmen, and we happen to have our say first. I, I couldn't discount everything that's that's come since, uh, and I wouldn't want to. Um, but um, yeah, I, the kind of paucity of truly different ways of looking at these uh, uh, these kind of archetypes uh, is um, a little disappointing. On the other hand, you know, the range of comic books that is available nowadays uh, is amazing compared to what was available in the days of Watchmen and Dark Knight's first appearance. And, you know, there's companies like Image and there's companies like Dark Horse and, um, you know, some of the DC and Marvel stuff, I mean, they've got their m- mature imprints and they're slightly um, o- offbeat imprints. So I think, 
in truth, there is a greater range of stuff there, but there doesn't seem to have really been anything that's had that kind of, uh, you know, sense of revelation that we were lucky enough to get with um, with Watchmen. I wonder, too, though, uh, from the creator-owned standpoint, because you and Frank Miller, for example, after your successes with Watchmen and Dark Knight, were able to... You know, step forward with Martha Washington, mm. and then, and then uh, I think in the generations that follow, as you say, you mentioned the image uh, movement and stuff uh, to today. And honestly, what Mark is doing with Miller World, and also what Robert Kirkman is doing with his stuff, it seems you know, Image had that big twentieth uh, anniversary expo at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. while the London Super Show was going on. Yeah, and and it it really seems Grant is now at, at Image with a with a new de- book debuting in the fall. Mm. You've got guys like Jonathan Hickman, who yep. I think has one foot at Marvel and certainly one foot in his own creator own stuff. And I wonder, and that's even where I kind of, again, make that uh, astronaut analogy, or even, as you say, uh, storming the beach. Uh, it seems like maybe this this new generation is moving a bit forward. But like, you, you know, as I said, too, it's, it's sad that it's taken 25 years for a step two to happen after – you guys with your cachet of, you know, Dark Knight and Watchmen were yeah. kind of able to say, hey, it's Dave Gibbons. Let's, you know, we're more interested in the next Dave Gibbons project than we are, you know, again, if you're coming back to Green Lantern or, or, or you know, whatever superhero you might have been drawing at the time. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, that was a really interesting change and it was particularly noticeable over here. I mean, in, in British comics, you know, credits had never been given to writers and artists. They were first introduced... Um, and thanks to Kevin O'Neill, who's a longtime friend of mine, who at that time was one of the art editors on 2000 AD, that we started to get um, artist and writer credits on 2000 AD, um, which then meant that rather than people having to go, oh, you know, he's the good dread artist, or he's the good, <laughs> they, they could say it's it's Mick McMahon, or it's Kevin O'Neill, or it's Brian Brian Bolland, and it then means that people can reliably follow their favourite artist or their favourite writer rather than the character. Time used to be, um, you know, again, to, to broaden it out to the States, if you got the gig drawing Superman, you were made because he was the, the you know, tentpole character. And, Certainly. And if you were, were attached to that. And, of course, they started to give credits much earlier, or I say much earlier, maybe 10, 15 years earlier in, in American comic books. But it then meant that, that um, as an artist or a writer, you could become the hero of the book. And, I mean, my comic buying pattern is I'm, I'm not in any way loyal to characters or publishers. I'll buy anything that Mark Miller writes. I'll buy anything that Alan Moore writes, anything that Frank Miller does, Mike, Mike Mignola, all, all these guys whose work I like. I will follow them anywhere, you know. So that's that's a huge change to the field um, that has that has crept up slowly, um, and um, I think also that um, I mean people like Mark Mark Miller are, are very shrewd and they've had enough experience and have made it their job to find out enough about how do you promote things, what are the figures really like on this, what does work, what do people really want. That we're starting to get writers and artists who have the kind of business acumen of the large companies as well um and i think that you know to run a a lean kind of two-man operation where between you you kind of cover most of the bases is a a very strong position to be in um and it isn't for 
for everybody. And I don't think it necessarily means that you abandon the large companies. I think it's really interesting the way that people market, again, is the obvious example, have been able to bring their mass audiences from the, the Marvel books over to the creator own stuff. And I think that's a very, you know, shrewd and savvy thing to do. Um, and, um, you know, is a way in which we probably have an advantage over the, the previous generations. Understood. And what about those? What about those generations after? I know you mentioned Mike Mignola. Are there any writer artists that you follow that you know of of, of the new generation? Well, you know, and honestly, David, one of the reasons why I asked you is sometimes when I think I talk to creators of previous generations from yours, it's it sometimes is it surprises me that they don't read as many comics as they used to. Clearly, you do. And 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 I wondered if that was a generational thing, and it's almost the same thing as you know. It seems like they maybe drop their teenage habits or their early twenties habits as they become older and stuff. And I and I I keep meaning to ask uh, the Silver Age and Bronze Age creators I that I talk to: Are you still reading, and what are you still reading? And it's good to hear that you are obviously you know well you're still engaged in the business in a very you know serious way but like the Paul Evanses and the Len Weens I'm, I was surprised to hear it's like yeah not really that much and like even Paul said I mostly read you know my old stuff and I'll go back and dip and you know read older stuff I mean he obviously reads to stay relevant when he's writing Legion of yeah. superheroes but you know yeah I was wondering you know what where where your tastes are in terms of the modern product well you know I, I don't think I've got any great surprises for you I mean I do tend to follow the work of my friends i mean i just just kind of mentioned them um i do i i am on the dc comp list which means that i get every book that dc publishes which okay. is a, a mixed blessing but um, Understood. but i mean they, they 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 are at the the moment i think putting out some really interesting um books i mean like the rest of the world i do really like what scott snyder and greg capullo are doing on the batman book sure um, which is which is one wonderfully done, um, and which is a, you, you know just when you think nobody could bring anything new to Batman, I think they brought something new to that. There's there's some interesting kind of mash up things as well. The way they've got Frankenstein in there, and they've got you know all these kind of. Um, so that's quite interesting. What I tend to do is when I finish with my DC comics i i get the guy in the local comic store to come and haul them away um, and then i go into the local comic book store which is a fantastic comic book store that i will give a plug for it's called Please. it's called chaos city comics and it's in a town called st albans in hertfordshire in england and uh, it's a great comic shop he's got all the mainstream stuff and a lot of really interesting eclectic stuff as well tell them dave sent you uh, and, and that's good man <laughs> I, i'm not saying you'll get a discount but at least uh, uh it'll be extra brownie points with me but anyway um uh, <laughs> I, I i i get derek there to haul my stuff away and then i go in there and this really is a, a, a fanboy dream come true i go in there and pick up whatever i like and never pay for anything so um i tend to pick up a lot lot of the marvel stuff oh i get some Dark Horse stuff free as well. I pick up the Marvel stuff and the independent stuff, and I at least look through everything. A lot of it isn't really aimed at me, but, I mean, I just have to say that, um, you know, people talk about the golden age of comics, and there is that, that hoary cliche about what's the golden age of science fiction. It's 12, you know. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. So, so I mean, I think, but I think 
in many ways now when I look at my local comic book store, it is the golden age of comics because there, there is all the company stuff. There are all, all the old favourites, the Green Lanterns, the Superman, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four. There's, there's, there's a lot of creator-owned and independent stuff. And there are wonderful, wonderful archives of all the great comics. I mean, even as I sit here, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, there's a Milton Caniff book and I've got Robert Fawcett, the, the illustrator, wonderful mm-hmm. G- Jim Lee, hard hardcover book, Tim Sale book. You know, um, I've got oh, my, all, all my Doctor Who stuff in a, in a, in a hardcover. You know, there's wonderful stuff around at the moment for anybody who loves comics. And, of course, the fact you, can, you don't even have to go in a comic store to get quite a lot of the current stuff, although I sort of really wish you would. But, um, um, you know, um, I, 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 I'm, I, if I start to say who I really like and who I really follow... I probably won't mention somebody that I really wanted to, and maybe even mention somebody that I didn't want to, but it was the only name I could remember. So Fair enough. I'll leave it kind of a bit vague and global. <laughs> but that answer actually inspires a couple other questions, and one I don't want to run away from while you mentioned Doctor Who, because it's so nice to see your stuff back in uh, in new edition, or, you know, new print and everything. It's and I'll tell you, man. I remember, I, again, uh, we would get reprints here in America when, you know, on your runs, and I was always thrilled about that as well. Mm. But, it, you know, what, what you know, uh, are you among, obviously, the millions uh, over there that, you know, certainly you love what, what's been going on with Doctor Who? Have you enjoyed the series in its new incarnation? And uh, um, Well, you know, I, I have to tell you that I really honestly have never, never been a huge Doctor Who fan. No I way! Mean, no, no, I, mean, I mean, to me, it, but it's, it, it's a bit, it, it relates in a weird way to your, your James Bond question. You know, to me, just as James Bond is Sean Connery, Doctor, the, 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 the Doctor is William Hartnell. You know, the, the old Fair guy with, with, with the white hair in scratchy black and white and the, and the, and the sets that wobble when someone walks, walks past. You know, that to me is the Doctor. And Understood. I, I can appreciate how well done this latest series is, and I have on occasion watched it. But, you know, I have to be honest and say I'm not a huge Doctor Who fan. I enjoyed drawing Doctor Who because it was just the kind of thing I like. It's got humour. It's got new environments every few pages. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, it's a great character to be associated with. You know, when you say you do comics, people go, what, like the Beano, which is our humour comic? Or, yes, sir. You know, if, if you go, no, Green Lantern, they go, Green Lantern, all oh, right. But if you go Doctor Who, oh, Doctor Who, you know. So, um, I mean, it was it was a tremendous thing to be associated with. As I say, actually, in my foreword to this huge new recollecting of it, um, uh, I don't own any rights in it at all, which, on, which makes the experience of seeing it still being reprinted after so many years and so many incarnations, you know, somewhat of a bittersweet experience. Not quite as bittersweet as when I see the prices that original Watchmen artwork is going for, but nevertheless, um, it's, it's just, just great to, to see the stuff still in print, and I'm glad people are still, um, still enjoying it. <laughs> well, and then, um, because I think all of you are facing this now, with your creator-owned ideas, uh, we're in this uh, age of digital comics. And as you say, you would love it if people would go into the, the direct market stores and, and buy comics there. Mm-hmm. But uh, as, as we enter this digital era, and even in, in something like Secret Service that is this spy book and stuff, there is that, you know, spy novelist uh, followers that would, I think, you know, appreciate a book like this. Do you have thoughts in terms of how to, and I know this is the million-dollar question, how to get the non 
mm-hmm. comic book readers into these genres because I agree with you. This is a current golden age. There haven't been you know as many genres available for all tastes since maybe the '40s here in America, mm-hmm. and and that's why it's so great. Uh, that everyone is experimenting in these other genres. But a lot of times the direct market just isn't the place for him. I was speaking with Greg Rucka uh, last week, mm-hmm. and we were talking about his uh, his pirate comic. It's a, it's a great steampunk pirate comic. Uh, you know, where, where to find the shops and where to find the eyeballs, they're there. There are steampunk fans. But how do you make those, those yeah. fans aware of, of these other genres that are being played with in comics. Well, of course, that, that's the lure of the digital medium, isn't it? That there's a yes. vast audience out there, and you've only got to int- interest a minuscule proportion of them in it to have a market that, f- that would be far bigger than, than what you sell a print comics in comic book stores. Um, I, I really don't know. I think something... I, I, you know, it, it seems to me that all these different media are converging. I mean, I know it's been a buzzword for a long while, but this idea of transmedia, where a property yes. exists in various incarnations, that if you want to read it on your on your iPad, you can. If you want to see an animation, you can. You want to play the game or see the movie. I think this is kind of the way things are going, which, again, um, is kind of problematic because... I think if you sit down and think, okay, I'm going to I'm going to create a transmedia property, it, it ends up, you know, being a kind of a committee thing, something which doesn't really succeed in in any medium. But then you only have to look at things like Walking Dead, which is right. phenomenally um, successful both as a comic book and as a, and as a TV series, or um, you know, the, the 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 kind of wonderful renaissance that the um, Avengers is going through now. You know, yes, to, to, to know it is it is possible to do this. I'm, I mean, I'm very much in favour of making stuff um, available online, and I do have an idea that even people who read their comics episodically um, as a download, as a legal download, I hope, um, I insist, in fact, um, that, that, that even the people who like to read it like that will at some point want to buy the book. You know, that it, we perhaps might be seeing a, a, a kind of a, a variation of buying the single comics and then buying the trade or possibly buying a couple of the comics and waiting for the trade, I think that might be a, a kind of a possible digital entry point to it. Um, but, I mean, I'm, I'm also um, interested in, as I alluded earlier to, alluded to earlier, in the idea of producing material which is specifically aimed at digital, which isn't just a kind of pan-and-scan version of a, of a print thing, but something that's actually designed to be interactive or to be digital from the beginning. Um, and I've, I've actually been working with a company called Madefire, M-A-D-E-F-I-R-E. Um, and um, they've got um, um, a concept that I came up with um, a little while ago, which they're currently um, working on and are going to be launching very, very shortly uh, on this rather wonderful new um, app that they've come up with. Uh, and not just me, a lot of other really very well-known comic book creators. Um, unfortunately, at this point, the launch is almost imminent, and I really don't want to say anything that's going to Fair enough. steal the thunder, but it's something that I'm really, really excited about, uh, and I think they've harnessed some of the capabilities of digital media that haven't been harnessed before. And I don't mean cheap Saturday morning-style animation. There isn't any of that in it at all, uh, which is what which is what a lot of these apps kind of res- resemble. And um, what arguably the um, Watchmen motion comic 
resemble to a degree. Although, again, I think it broke some, some, some interesting ground. But I think the real thing about it is at the moment, it feels to me a bit like the Wild West. You know, there obviously is a lot of land out there. And, there's, and there's a lot of people setting off in their covered wagons, heading in different <laughs> directions, hoping that they're going to get the uh, pasture and not the desert, you know. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm really happy to be tied up with, with a company, Madefire, who I think, you know, have the potential to uh, to, um, to to grab some really nice land out there, um, and I, I, I think it's a, it's a great area to have a have a stake in at this time. Well, and I agree with you too that uh, it's easy to dismiss that Washman Motion comic, but I do think that there were some necessary first steps with it, much like Marvel's Motion comics as well. Yeah, and and it's. Uh, it's yeah. If anything, it was a starting point. So you 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 can't move forward without taking those first steps. So no. that's you know that that's fine. As in, in your own process, and I know you've done demonstrations online. Uh, we can find the the videos on YouTube mm-hmm. of you kind of testing some uh, some digital work and stuff. Do you normally work now on a Wacom or uh, you know uh, those kinds of things? Are you have you gone all digital or partially digital in your work? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's strange. I, I, I'll just go back and make another brief comment about the Watchman Motion comic. I, sure. I, I wouldn't want to give the imp- impression that I thought it was badly done. I thought the people who did it, given what they had to do and, and the material they had to work with, did a fantastic job on it. Um, and indeed, it was it was really interesting because I, when it was first proposed to me, I was sort of against it as a comic book purist. I thought, you can't do this. No, no, you, you mustn't do this. And I showed it to friends of mine who work, who work in the comic business or the games business or the animation business, and they were all a bit kind of, well, it's okay, but the animation is this, and you really need to do that, and da 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 da, da. I showed it to my two then teenage stepdaughters who aren't comics fans at all, and they absolutely loved it. They went, oh, this is great. Where can we see some more of this? And I thought, well, it's not for the purists, but there's obviously a market out there or an audience out there that would take the material on board in this kind of medium. And so uh, it was really interesting to do that as as an experiment, but, you know, kind of an early prototype. Anyway, anyway, just to come back to what you were asking me about doing stuff digitally, I mean, I've used computers uh, in the production of comics since about uh, 92 or something like that. Um, and I, originally I did colouring on them or kind of fairly mundane production tasks, doing logos and lettering and, and stuff like that. Um, but, of course, there, there are such wonderful um, kind of input devices available now, like, for instance, the Wacom Cintiq, which is the, the, the thing where you actually draw on the display. So it's, yes. as, if, it's as, as if the lines magically um, appear underneath your stylus. Um, I've used that and a piece of software called Manga Studio, which is mm-hmm. an excellent comic drawing um, software. And I did have the idea at one point, this is the future. You've got to do it digitally. Having done a few jobs solely digitally, I've come back from that position and realized that actually the Wacom tablet, the, the, the computer, the software are really just another tool. And really, as an artist or a craftsman of any sort, what you should do is choose the tools you need to express your vision in the most efficient and accurate way possible. So now what I do, I do a lot of my basic work on the Cintiq. I do all my layouts on there because it's absolutely wonderful to be able to draw very fluidly and to know that you can resize anything, you can draw over anything, you can skew things around, you can set up 
um, your perspective on there. In Manga Studio, for instance, you can draw perspective grids to conform exactly to the rough that you've done. You can import 3D models. And then what I tend to do is print that out on kind of standard comic book Bristol board and actually pencil and often ink on that and then scan it back into the computer to add lettering and colouring to it. So it's kind of a hybrid system, but um, as a tool for visualisation and a tool for um, actually doing the mechanical production stuff, the computer is absolutely great. But maybe it's because, you know, I've always had Indian ink in, in my veins and I just, <laughs> I just love that scritchy, scratchy noise that a pen makes as it moves across the paper. I, I, I doubt that I will be completely relinquishing the analogue tools for the digital, um, but they get closer and closer every day to replicating um, what you can do in an analogue way. And, of course, you never run out of ink and you never smudge anything. So uh, that's very handy. <laughs> you know, uh, obviously, one of the great things about uh, not only Watchmen, but your your Superman annual for the man who has everything that yeah. you and Alan did, uh, you employed a lot of great, uh, not tricks, but, you know, uh, obviously, there was more business going on in each panel, and, and obviously by design, to... You know, really, the to really allow the reader really to really enjoy uh, the pace of the story and 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 to really give more dimension to the story. And I know I watched your Kapow uh, uh, video interview with the guy from SFX Magazine, and you were talking about uh, your book, the originals, your mod book, and that you are playing with the idea of of kind of you know ma- making that available in a digital way yeah. And, and and yeah i wonder you know again because i think digital we're seeing with mark wade's experiment going on in his thrill bent uh website yeah. where i i think digital is really you know the pace of reading and where your eye goes as opposed to when you know someone's reading it on paper it really is up to the reader to kind of move their eye everywhere yeah. digital you're able to manipulate that more and obviously i i sense you you see that potential as well and i wondered if you wanted to speak about that at all yeah well i mean you know what i think i'm interested in is is for the 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 viewer the reader whatever you you want to call the digital equivalent of, of a reader i think i want them still to be having a reading type experience in other words you know they they view the material they read it in their own pace in 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 their own way as opposed to an animation where it happens at a set rate and they right. have to follow it you know i think it's the reading end that's most important um but we, but within that yeah there's wonderful things you can do and i was very impressed with what what mark's doing there again it's a bit experimental it's a bit prototype but there are some things that he's that he and the artist have done that work exquisitely and get effects that you couldn't get on a static print comic um, with, without doing anything corny, without having anim, um, an animation or any sort of corny sound effects or anything like, like that. So it, it really is pursuing the reading end of it that I'm interested in. However, I think there's something like the, the originals, because it was drawn for the static page my 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 um vision for that that's the word i'm groping for my vision for that is is more or less to 
port it just as it is to the iPad because it's almost exactly the right format. It's kind of a, a short format. It's not as tall as a regular comic book page. Certainly. It would fit on the iPad beautifully because it's in black and white. It would also, I think, look really cool and stylish, which was, again, one of the things about the book that I wanted it to look cool and stylish and very de- designed. And, Absolutely. And the, the other thing about it is that there is a lot of, well, I think very interesting background stuff, you, you, you know, because I was a mod when I grew up. There's some really interesting stuff there that I know I could share with a reader that I think would enrich the experience. You know, a bit like if you buy the box set of a TV series, you've got the commentaries and the behind the scenes stuff and the background. I've got some wonderful newsreels that may well be in public domain of, of the actual kind of mod riots way back Fantastic. In, in the 60s there was also the other thing that's really interesting uh, i spoke to a guy who's quite a well-known um musician um about doing a promo um kind of record for the originals when it first came out to have the kind of music that i imagined that the originals would listen to which was basically kind of 60s american black dance music uh, and he kind of created some tracks Unfortunately, the marketing plan for the original's graphic novel meant that it wasn't feasible. But we have got these music tracks as well. So we could load those on, onto an iPad app. So it, it just seemed, seemed to me, and I haven't investigated the business side of this to any great degree, that it might, it might make a really interesting app that you could sell for um, an impulse amount of money that because of its connections with style and music and so on, you know, again, might have a connection to an audience outside of the purely comic book audience. So, um, you know, I, th- I think that's a particular example. But again, I think there are kind of hybrid things you can do with comics, you know, allied to other media that, again, you know, you can get them to a, uh, to a worldwide audience. I'm delighted that you're, you're thinking along those lines because in our first conversation, and I know you've had hundreds of conversations since then, I even said back then that given uh, that it was still a Warner property, that it would be fun to go through uh, Warner's music catalog and come up with a soundtrack for the originals. And even then you were like, ooh, that, you know, yeah, yeah. it sounded like you were thinking along those lines too. So, and then, yes. you know, so yeah, that's great, man. I, I'm really glad and I hope that does happen. And you're right. I think it is that full DVD with the bonus features effect that would make uh, originals, an interesting app. And isn't it funny? Yeah, rather than a digital comic, uh, to think along the terms of a full-fledged app. I was talking to Dean Haspiel, mm-hmm. and he just worked on a Doors app, and he did a sequence that kind of replayed the uh, infamous Miami concert that the Doors had, right. where uh, Morrison presents himself to the audience. Let's uh-huh. put it that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, and, you know, uh, I, I understand it wasn't all that. <laughs> I was four at the time, but understood <laughs> exactly, man. I mean, no, that's uh, that's no, that's great, and I, and it really is cool that that you're thinking along those lines. Mm-hmm. I don't want to keep you long, but I do. I mean, the elephant is the in the room about before Watchmen, and what I wanted to know, honestly, just briefly, is what you think of this tug of war not amongst the fans because ever since the announcement has been made you made your statement dave and 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 if as much and as as little as you want to expand on that that's that's your choice but i find it interesting the the discussion that's going on 
and 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 I wonder if you know uh, amongst the fans, and certainly I'm sure you've seen it, mm-hmm. or or at least are aware of it and stuff. And it, it, what what you think of uh, the, the the tug of war amongst the fans about this? Well, I, you know, I'm going to consider my words very carefully on this, John. I'm fair enough. Sir. I'm, I mean, I'm not surprised you 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 asked, but you know, I I was very careful in my choice of words for that quote that I let DC use because I obviously wanted to say something. But I really, at this point, don't want to say much more than that. You know, it's one of those situations where you either say nothing or you say everything. Fair uh, enough. And one thing that I have noticed with the Internet is it's, it's very reactive. Um, it's very, very difficult to sort out fact from opinion. There are things that I've read about the history of Watchmen and the ramifications that are so far off the beam, I have no idea of where they've come from. Uh, and so I vowed that the one thing I would avoid would be, be getting drawn into any kind of controversy or really having any um, involvement with it um, at all. At some point, because uh, as, as you can tell, I'm, I'm a guy who likes to express his opinion. At some point, um, I will talk about it in, in some depth, uh, but it won't be now. And, it, and, it, and when, it, when it does happen, it will be in an arena of my choosing. And, and, um, I mean, again, I, I, um, yeah, I see everything that goes on, on, on the Internet. I waste as much time on the, on the Internet as everybody else. I know what everybody thinks about this. And, of course, I also know the people who are reported on, on the Internet, and I know what they really think and what they're really doing as well. But the best comment, I thought, I, I think it was from Damon Lindelof, you know, the guy behind Lost. Indeed. He, 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 he tweeted, this before Watchmen thing. No, number one, I hate the idea. Number two, I'm going to buy every issue. <laughs> and I suspect that that might not be untypical of um, people out out there. But, you know, I, I think other than that, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't mind that you've asked the question, John, but I think very I, I think I will say no more than that. I understood, sir, and I and I truly appreciate even even the, that brief minute of of conversation. So that honestly, thank you, because yeah, I I do understand. Um, I will say that, and and not with any comment from you, I I would hope that um, at the very least uh, that the fact that other people maybe much like yourself when you worked on the spirit that it, it it must there there must be some sort of satisfaction. Uh, because I've spoken about this with other creators who've created a character and then seen others work with the character. I would think from the pure exercise of of that, I, I, I hope, and again, without any comment from you, that there is some sort of joy to see, oh, wouldn't it be interesting to see what Creator X does with the creation of my own? I mean, that's, you know, that's comics. That's Siegel and Schuster. That's everybody else. Well, that's, so that's, that's my, you know. That's very interesting you should say that, John, because you know what I'd like to say to that? No comment. There you go. Exactly, my man, and I totally respect that. Absolutely. No, thank you, man. And and I and truly, I appreciate you you taking a moment and even explaining yourself to that degree. Okay. So fair enough. But no, honestly, man, this is great. I, Secret Service really is. It's it's a great welcome back. Um, I'm I know it's five issues. Uh, as of your video interview with Kapow, uh, you said you were you were in the midst of issue three. I don't know if there's an update since then. I'm, I'm, I'm now towards the end of um, issue three. That all has to be put to bed in the next kind of week or so. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, it's onwards and upwards with the distraction of the summer, including uh, going to San Diego, um, 
where I will be um, promoting the Madefire app, which I mentioned before. Um, I'm not quite the salesman that Mark Miller is, but as you can see, I'm I'm not learning too bad at the, at the master's <laughs> knee. Um, and um, I'm, I'm also going to be um, showing up to do some uh, master classes at the little shack across the road. And I should be able to think exactly of, of the name of it. I'm actually thinking kickstarter but i know it isn't kickstarter trickster trickster that's the thing how embarrassing the poor old guy lost the plot at the last minute but but, no because i was i was very impressed by what they were doing last year and i did some little promotional things for them then um and what they've got me doing this year is to give an hour of my time to help somebody with their own project to give them advice on story and artwork and presentation and so on and I'm, i'm really looking forward to that and if time permits, uh, I may even do a bit more over there. Uh, and I'll, I, I'm not sure what signings or panels or anything I'm doing, but I definitely will be lurking around San Diego. Excellent. I, uh, I appreciate when I see you at San Diego, sir. You're always very kind and give me a nice hello. I, I felt so bad the last time I saw you. I think I nearly blinded yourself, Stuart Moore <laughs> and poor Steve Wacker, with, uh, with an inadvertent flash from my iPhone. So uh, I'm like, oh, my God, I've ruined one of my favorite creators. Oh, no. Actually, uh, St- Stuart and Steve, too. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid my retinas were seared by flash bulbs <laughs> a long time ago. That's <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do, I do, I do appreciate your apology. And if I don't recognise you, it's due to the aforementioned seared retinas. And if you'd like to ask me then about uh, again about uh, before Watchmen, I'm be happy to give you another cheery no comment. That's understood. And 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 then I, I'll think maybe a couple of years, much like the Olympics, maybe by uh, 2016, <laughs> we'll be able to talk about before Watchmen. Well, if you see me run into into the convention hall with a torch in my hand, you'll know that that's the time. <laughs> No, thanks for your time today, man. And, and okay. truly, uh, a pleasure talking. Uh, continued success, and thanks, and I, as always, I uh, I look forward to to our next conversation, and hope it's uh, hope it doesn't take three years for the next one. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much in, indeed, John. Thanks for the the, the, the interest and, and the, the chance for me to give my views. And uh, I will continue to follow the podcast with, with joy. It does help to pass the hours slaving at the drawing board. And uh, I look forward to being blinded by you in San Diego. <laughs> there you go. Dave Gibbons, uh, two great conversations from uh, 2009 and uh, or 2008, I guess, was the first one because it was before the uh, Watchmen press junket, and then we uh, we spoke again in uh, in 2012, I believe. Uh, for boy, I'm I'm really sorry that I'm not giving you exact dates here. But two great old conversations with Dave Gibbons. I hope you enjoyed them, and uh, looking forward to a new one soon. We we saw each other at uh, a New York con just a couple of years ago, and I know he was working on a project, and said when he's ready and that is done, he would like to come back. Uh, I'm hoping to get him back sooner than later. So uh, we will make uh, plans. You know, I'm going to wait till after the HBO sh- series is over. Because I don't want him to think I'm just doing it to kind of hype the, t- the TV show. I guess that's what the purpose is for this one. And also to bring back another great conversation of Word Balloon that some new listeners might not have heard in the archives. So I hope you enjoyed these uh, talks with Dave on today's Word Balloon. All brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners via Patreon. Again, if you want to subscribe to Word Balloon, you can go to Patreon dot com slash word balloon or go to uh, wordballoon.com and click on the patreon ad 
right there on the front page. But thank you for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. And thank you, Aftershock Comics, for being a great sponsor of Word Balloon with uh, wonderful books that are waiting for you right now, like the first edition of Dark Red, the first uh, collected volume of the first five issues. Tim Seeley and Corin Howell, a fantastic vampire story uh, in the, in the uh, flyover states. And, uh, yeah, they even have monster problems, even in the Midwest and stuff. Pretty neat stuff. There's also Dark Ark After the Flood from Juan Doe and Cullen Bunn. Uh, things like Baby Teeth Volume 3 from Donny Cates and Gary Brown. And the current issue of Baby Teeth Number 17 out this month. There's uh, the Rough Riders Complete Series hardcover from Pat Olaf and Adam Glass. A great collection that collects uh, three of the Rough Rider volumes. Uh, great steampunk action featuring a lot of historical people. You Are Obsolete, number three from Matthew Klickstein and Evgeny Bornyakov. And uh, Juan Donzo's own series, Bad Reception, is the fourth issue is out then uh, this month. Shoplifters will be liquidated from Patrick Kindlin and Stefano Simone. Uh, Midnight Vista from Elliot Rowell and uh, Clara Meath. Also another great Aftershock series. Uh, issue 3 is out there. Really great books. Go to their website. You're going to find incredible books that bend all the genres and tell really great stories. Top creators doing their best. Don't take my word for it. Go to their website. Full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on how to order these books through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you, League, for your support. More great conversations to come here in November. Next episodes of Word Balloon are going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Marvel creators, DC creators, and an, uh, an amazing celebrity conversation that I'm just delighted to present to you this week. All coming up before the end of the week, right here at Word Balloon. Stick around. Be watching for your feed. Another Word Balloon will drop in just a few hours. Until then, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2019. Every day... We rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.